Doing all right? Come on, it's 7.22 on a Friday night. I know your night is just starting. How y'all doing tonight? Good, good, good. Uh, if we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Taylor. I help lead this ministry. We call it College Men. We, it'll probably change names as we go diff- through different seasons, but uh, this is for 18 and up. So y'all say, hey, right? You don't have to be nervous talking to anybody like, I'm 12, right? Like, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, that's illegal. Stop that. So, but hey, if, you, if this is your first time tonight, I want to let you know kind of the purpose behind the college ministry. Um, there's three points, um, and the first point is to develop leaders. How many of y'all believe that every single one of us can be a leader in whatever sphere of influence God puts us in? The second one is we want to build life-giving community. You got a little sample of that. You got to pray for some people, maybe people you've never met before, um, but we believe prayer changes things. And the last point is that those far from God would come close to him. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in tonight. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, Lord, whatever is on our hearts, God, whatever, whatever we are requesting prayer for, God, I pray that you would move, God, that you would minister to what needs to be ministered. God, help us to feel your love and to be reminded, um, God, that, that, that you're so good. God, that you're good in bad seasons and you're good in, in the great ones, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen, amen, amen. Um, hey, I want to I, I tell you a little bit about tonight. Uh, the, the title of my message tonight is called A Lost Heart, okay? A Lost Heart. I don't know if people still do titles. I don't know if that gives away too much of what we're talking about. But tonight, the title of my message is A Lost Heart. And I started to think about um, um, how many of y'all uh, work like a, like a full 40 hours a week? Come on, let me see, let me see. Okay, how many of y'all put in like more than 40, more than 50? More than 60. Oh, this man. All right, man. This guy's working. All right, guys. If you, he ever, if you ever text him, it's not because he doesn't want to respond. It's because he's putting 60 in, right? That's the excuse, right? No, I'm just playing. But I, I work downtown. How many of y'all have ever been downtown Tucson before, right? I always love people who've lived here for a long time, and they go, downtown Tucson used to suck. Now it's, like, kind of cool, right? Um, but I work downtown. That's where our church offices are for, for our, our ministry development. But we'll be walking, I'll be walking downtown, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people who are struggling in the downtown area. There's a lot of homeless. There's a lot of people who are navigating just uh, 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 poverty. And what I have learned about myself is that I have gotten comfortable walking past them. I know what you're thinking, like, wow, this is a really strong start to a message, telling everyone that you don't care about poor people anymore, Taylor. Yes, I believe in vulnerability. No. I'd walk down, and I'd see this one, this one, this one man, and, and, and he would be yelling, he'd be shouting, he'd be uh, overzealous. He's probably had a struggle with, with, um, with drugs or substances that have affected his mind, and he is wild and out. And I remember I've walked past this guy and just kept my eyes forward. And the Holy Spirit just began to convict me on that. The Holy Spirit began to challenge me and go, do you know his name? Do you know who that is? Even if you don't know his name, do you know that he's my son? That I died for him? That I died for him just the way I died for you? The love that you feel, the ministry that you receive from me, I have the same plan for him. But maybe nobody's introduced him to me. And I was like, yes, Lord. <laughs> so, I, so I'm walking, and I love Street Taco. Anybody here love Street Taco? Downtown Street Taco is like my favorite place. If we're ever meeting downtown, tell the truth, shame the devil, it's Street Taco. Lennon's like, yeah. I literally, Abron knows. I go crazy on some Street Taco. But it's just because my friend Matt taught me the secret sauce to all things. If you guys want to know how to, how to finesse the system at Street Taco, connect with Matt. He's sitting up here in the green shirt. He knows the system thoroughly. But uh, <laughs> I'm walking back with my food after lunch. I just, just He's standing there, and he's asked me for money before, and I don't carry cash. But this morning, I literally put cash in my wallet. And I said, hey, man, I walk, I, I walk past you all the time. And he's startled. Because I don't know if you know, the, the number one felt need of, of, of someone navigating homelessness is that they feel ignored. Their biggest need is that I just wish people would look at me. I wish people would stop ignoring me. I wish when I wave to people that they wouldn't just, or pull out your phone at the stoplight, hello. And I, and, I, and I start to learn, and I go, hey, my name's Taylor. I actually work in this building, but I, I see you around here all the time. Do you have lunch for today? He goes, No. 
So I walk with him. I, I give him this cash, and I go, hey, man, whatever you want to do with it. But, hey, my name's Taylor. I, I'd love to get to know you some more sometime. He's like, wow, thanks. And he's gone, right? <laughs> Here I was thinking there's going to be this super emotional moment. He's going to, like, hug me and be like, you're the first person that's talked to me. And he's like, nah, dog, I'm out. And here's the reason why. I don't do it for his response. I do it for obedience. All that to say, the reason why I share that story is that I think as we're around people more and more, we stop caring for people. Our heart can, can, can change. Seeing the same people over and over and their problems, you just stop caring like you used to. Remember when you, when you had that friend who was like, man, I just, I struggle with this. I struggle with this thing. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's so horrible. Oh, I can't believe your boyfriend talks to you that way. And then six months later, they're still telling you the same problem. And you go, I don't want to hear it anymore. No, 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 I'm done. I'm done caring. You don't want to change. You don't want to get better. Or people who go, oh, man, I've got like this, this like my leg is bothering me. I got like a bad knee. And you're like, well, maybe you should go to the gym. And they're like, mm, no, can't afford it. Starbucks in hand. Hello. <laughs> uh, just, but my knee is bothering me. I can't do anything physical. because I'm like, I could tell you a secret on how to fix that knee. I could tell you a secret. But then the thing is, is that our hearts start to grow cold towards the people that we, that we spend a lot of time around. I've lived life, not in an enormous amount of life, um, but I have noticed the more life you live, the less care we naturally operate in towards others. And I'll prove it to you. Uh, y'all ever, how many of y'all have ever worked food before? Salty old people don't care about nothing. They don't tip, they don't smile, they don't say thank you, right? Like, I mean, like, even just a thank you, bro. Like, even as I set it down before you, if you were like, thanks. Like, they're literally like, and they just start going, right? The reason why I tell you that is there was a study done in 2016, and I can give you the, the um, citation. I had to do a citation. I felt like I was like, oh, man, I'm really preparing for a college service. I did a citation. <laughs> All these, all these college kids are like, shut up. I don't want to talk about citations. I want to hear about Jesus, okay? But a study done in 2016 found that emotions, both positive and negative, decrease in intensity in direct correlation with our physical age. Let me just clarify something. The intensity, the emotion that you feel right now, tomorrow you will probably operate in less strength of emotion. Less highs, but also less lows. And if we're not careful, right, that, that, that can be an okay thing, right? You remember how emotional you were about going to high school the first day? You're like, oh, you were either really excited or really nervous. And now you start a new job and you're like, I just need to get through. <laughs> if I can get to five, I'm good, right? Get out of my face, right? Like I'll smile to the customers, but coworkers get away from me, right? Right, you remember how nervous you were on that first date and now you go on a date and it don't get no butterflies no more. Not the newlyweds. The newlyweds just celebrated six months. They're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I still feel butterflies. <laughs> but a study found that as we increase in age, both positive and negative emotion decrease in intensity. Here's how I would say it. We feel less as we get older. Our emotions grow less intense every day we are on this planet but I believe that our care and our emotions shouldn't always be connected. Just because you're an emotional person doesn't mean you care about people. And just because you're an unemotional person doesn't mean you don't care about people. We like to believe that, especially like among men, right? You're like, he just doesn't care. Well, he's just not crying in Marley and me, okay? Chill out, right? Oh, he's not emotional. He doesn't really care. And it's like, no, he's not just like emoting all the time, but that doesn't mean he doesn't care. Ladies, can I get an amen? This one right here, amen. Just because I'm not emotional doesn't mean I don't care. But on the inverse, there are a lot of emotional people who really give no care about who you really are. They just emote. They just go like, oh my gosh, my life sucks. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they're like, yeah, it's not that bad. Okay, I'm gonna go over here and talk to this person. Our emotions and our care shouldn't be connected. And here's what I mean. Um, when a child sees a homeless person, how many of y'all have like a younger, like a nephew, or maybe you got a, you know, we've got a little kid right now, a little 18-month-old, uh, but how many of y'all have ever experienced a little kid maybe seeing maybe some pain in the world for the first time? They see that pain, and they go like, 
oh my gosh, why doesn't anyone care about them? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> right? There's a lot of big questions that come from little children when they'll ask questions like, hey, why? Hey, there's a stray dog. We've got to take care of it. And you're like, that dog is so mangy. Like that dog is going to bring like uh, the black plague, the black plague back from the dead and give it to you, right? Like, hey, I've seen that. And, and I know some of us are like, oh, can I tell a story about Aunt Kenya? Can I tell a story? Okay, so there was, there was a moment when we, are, we just built a church in Kenya. It was incredible. We built a building. It was awesome. Missy was there. She can dig a hole better than anybody I know. Like everyone else was using like, like uh, on, on a big metal pick and machetes. And literally Missy is like using her fingers and nails. True, true. She was hardcore. It was so intense that the, the, the locals in Kenya were like, she outworks all of you. And I was like, I know, okay. But we're in Kenya, and there are, there are stray dogs. Dogs are not pets in Kenya. Culturally, it's not like, hey, this is my dog, Fido. It's like this is the random dog that hangs around, and we don't pay any attention to it, okay? Um, because they don't have an abundance of food or resources. They can't afford, like, hey, we have a pet, and we're going to give this pet food. Like, no, 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 that's for us. That's for where we, especially where we were in Kenya. Well, there's these stray dogs who keep trying to snag food, from us, because we'd have like local uh, ladies in Kenya. They would like the the ladies of the church would be making us food, and it was rice, and we had goat like y'all, and watch the goat slaughter. Like no, it was crazy. We didn't watch it, but we saw where it happened. Trauma and all these little kids. But we're watching these dogs, and these dogs are running around, and and they and they're trying to snag food. Well, culturally. That's like no-go. Like, we don't let dogs eat food in Kenya. They were like, nope, we don't do that. So we watched this pastor who has been ministering to our heart, this little guy named Pastor Tim, just like the kindest, sweetest, true kindest, sweetest man. Uh, crazy story, sidebar, Pastor Tim is about this tall. We don't know how old he actually is because they don't, like, really keep track of birthdays and stuff. But he's like, yeah, when I was 19, I killed a lion, and, like, now we can't do that anymore. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. Pastor Tim. At church service, our last day, this dog is trying to snag some food. He hauls off and just lands the Pele level kick on this dog. And the dog's like, <laughs> runs away. And I watch all of these little girls who are on this church, like, oh. And I have to have this conversation because I go, hey, this is their culture. We are guests. I understand you care for that dog, but that dog in the value of all the grand scheme of things is not who Jesus died for. All the dog people are like, I don't know. They're like, I don't know. In my Bible, I, I think he died for Fido. No, he didn't. But I tell you that story because there is a part of us that that. As well, like a young child, when they see pain, they go, how do we solve this, right? I, I, I remember uh, my little brother, and there was, a, there was a homeless person standing on the side of the road um, right here off of uh, Ruth Roth. And he would stand here consistently. Judah was probably like five years old. I was probably, uh, I was probably 14 at that point in time. And Judah would go, can we give him something? And my mom always was like, yes, we'll figure something out. You know, if it's a bottle of water, if it's whatever we had. And then Judah started to realize, he's like, hey, how come he's always here? And then, Judah, and then he starts to understand like, hey, this is, you know, he doesn't have anybody or uh, we don't really know. He might've made poor choices, but that's not for us. We just need to love people. That's not for us to figure out or to make judgment on. Our job is to love people. This is where you should say amen. But like a child, but as this child ages, as Judah aged, he started to exp and experience more difficult things in life. Our hearts can grow cold to people's, to others' pains. And the Bible actually discusses this, and it calls it a hard heart or a heart of stone. I'm going to show you a, passage, a couple of passages of scripture. Y'all okay if I actually use the Bible now? The rest was all just stories. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jump into the next passage of scripture. Hebrews 3, 3 8. If you're, if you're 
taking notes, just write these down quick. Hebrews 3.8 says this, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. And here's what I wanna ask. Raise your hand. Have you ever met someone with a hard heart? Come on. Some of you got them and their grandpa, right? Some of you got them and their tio, right? Like some of you got them and it's, you know, your auntie Janice, right? Whoever it is. If you've ever met someone, they're normally very cynical. A hard heart makes people very cynical. And always these people very often believe the worst about others. Hard hearts make you believe the worst about other people. Their lives are not usually described as good. Sometimes they describe their own life as just getting by. If you were to say, hey, how's life? Meh. Meh. Just getting through. Just trying to make it to payday. Just trying to make it to the weekend. Like, oh my gosh. Is Pastor Taylor in my brain right now? There's actually a process that goes into a heart becoming hard. Some come by it through trauma or pain experience in life. Some have been betrayed by very close people in their life. Some are taught it from a young age by parents or guardians who have experienced pain in their own life. But no matter how a hard heart is developed, it never leads to a fulfilled or joyful life. I'm gonna say that again. A hard heart never leads to a fulfilled or joyful life. Most hard hearts actually push away the people who need to be closest to it. A hard heart pushes away the people who need to be close. Some things, with a, some things a person with a hard heart says, this is not an exhaustive list. I'm gonna give you a list that's gonna be up on the screen. But if these are repeated often, it could be a warning sign that you have a hard heart, okay? First one, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. This is actually victim mentality speak. I can't do anything about it. It is what it is. It's just how my family is. It is what it is. It can be true. It can be a true statement. Just go, hey, I can't fight that we pay taxes. Ooh, dang it. It is what it is. But if, it, if there are things that you control, that you can't control or influence, and you just go, it is what it is. Yeah, this is how my marriage is gonna be. You know, this is how my parents' marriage was. It is what it is. Ah, uh, you know, this is how financially I was taught to manage money. So this is, it is what it is. I'll just never have enough. Second phrase. That's how it will always be. People who believe that the past is the greatest indicator of the future are people who are, have a hardened heart. Because that's not always true. I know, I, know, I know we're like, oh, but it is true. If they, were, if they were bad before, they're bad now. And I just go, Jesus has a different thing. Third one, well, what did you expect? Let's move on from that one. This is one that's the one I really like. Men are, ooh. Some of y'all, it came quick. The next one, women are, ooh, I, someone over here just said crazy. That's not what I believe. <laughs> women are not crazy. Men are, and you have your thought process. If you want to figure out what you will believe about your future spouse, answer that question at home tonight. Men are, first thing that comes to your mind. If you want to figure out, if you want to figure out what you believe about other women or what you believe about your friends, what you believe about the people that you will spend your life with. Women are, first thing that comes to your mind, write that down. And you'll actually look, you'll make decisions relationally out of those two phrases. Men are trash. And you wonder why you can't find a good man. It's not what we're talking about tonight, but. Here's the next one. I don't need anyone else. Emotionally, when you're working, I don't need anyone else. It's a hard heart because it's not true. Next one. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Last one. That's just the way I am. I'm an eight, I'm a three, I'm a one. Whatever your Enneagram, whether you believe in Enneagram or not, whatever personality type, well, I'm a, I'm a Pisces. What is that, was that how it said? I don't even know how to say it. Pisces, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it is. I'm a computer program, I'm an HP, I'm a Dell. <laughs> I'm Macintosh. Uh, that's just the way I am. When you hide behind your personality rather than changing your character, 
That's a hard heart. Uh, you know, I just, I just can't care for people because I'm an eight and I just leave a wake of bodies behind me. So, <laughs> you know what I call eights when they're being a jerk? An eight hole. Stop being an eight hole if you're an eight. I'm ministering to myself right now. That's a short list. But I hope you're catching the theme throughout those phrases. It's a reliance on self. It's an acknowledgement that, man, the past has sucked and it influences that my future will suck. So I'm going to guard myself. As I wrote this list, I actually began to, have a, to feel a personal conviction. <laughs> I started to ask the Lord, Lord, am I struggling with a hard heart? Because I say that. Uh, it is what it is. Lord, I thought I had this dialed is what I said in my personal walk. Lord, I thought I had this figured out. I've been doing ministry for 10 plus years. I've been pastoring for five. I thought I had this. And here's the question I want you to write down. Do I have a hard heart? And maybe your whole heart isn't hard, but are there parts of your heart that are hard? Hard towards God, hard towards people who are struggling, people who are homeless, people who are not listening to your advice. Ooh. And as you consider this, think about when you interact with people in need. Do you ignore them? Do you still care? And even as you sit right now and reason and explain away your hard heart, I want to remind you, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. He literally doesn't say, like, you know, the tongue is the most deceitful. Because some of y'all will, like, hype someone up and then talk trash behind their back, being deceitful with that tongue. But the human heart, you'll be like, hey, girl, you're the only one. And you got, never mind, that's the third time you've said that this week. Um, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Remember the thing you're like, well, I just feel in my heart. I love, I love, I love realizing, like, especially in church world, we have this phrase. We say, they've just got a good heart. Do they? Because the Bible says it's deceitfully wicked. And desperately, the most deceitful and desperately wicked out of all things on this planet. Next one, as I love Jeremiah, it says, who really knows how bad it is? Like, ah, you know, he's got some issues, but his heart's good. No, it's not. Well, I just love, we just have like a heart connection. So you guys are deceitfully and wickedly connected. That's so cute. I love that for you. <laughs> Don't trust this. Your heart lies to you. Our heart is a great indicator, but it's not the truth of our lives. The Bible is the ultimate truth that we can cling to because it don't change up. And I'll prove it to you. The, the boy you thought was cute in high school, you don't find cute no more. Except for you, girl. What's up? No, I'm just playing. She's like, oh, there's a lot of work to make you cute again, right? First point of my message is that your heart is deceitful. It lies to you. Don't trust your heart. I know what you're saying. You're like, wait, I can't make any decisions based off my heart. You shouldn't. You should make heart. You should make heart decisions out of the equation. You should instead go, this is what I feel in my spirit. Because guess what's eternal? Your spirit. The emotions you feel right now, you may not feel in a week. Can I get an amen from somebody? Anybody gotten their heart broke before? Yeah, the, thing, the emotion you felt in that moment, you no longer feel today. Why? Because your heart switches up on you. You'd be like, man, I'm never going to recover. She was my everything. You were 14. Chill out, bro. <laughs> oh, I'll never recover. She broke up with me so she could go to college. Like, no, bro, like, move on, right? That's all, that's all the friends have told their hurting friends. If, you're, if, you, if your response to when people are hurting is move on, you might be an eight. So <laughs> your heart lies to you. It's a great indicator, but it's not the truth of your life. Your heart is deceitful, it lies to you, and I'll prove it to you. Matthew 15, 19 says this, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. That's what comes out of your heart. You just got such a good heart. Liar. 
So how do we soften a hard heart? Here's, here's the first point. We ask God to give us a new or soft heart. We ask God to give us a new or soft heart. The only way you will get a soft heart is through, the, is through God. You can't self-help a soft heart. You can't get counseling and your heart be changed forever because here's the thing is that counseling will minister to wounds, but it won't change how you view the future. Counseling will help you navigate and feel where you are today and go, okay, this is where I am. This is what I need to do. This is the next step I need to take. But the only thing that will change what you believe about people is looking at them through the lens that Christ died for them. That all of this pain and suffering that you're like, man, I could just hide in a shell. I could just find a padded room and I could just live in there. I could just get some Legos and just figure it out and just not be hurt ever again. But can I tell you, that's not really what God has called us to. God has called us to go into uncomfortable places. We ask God to give us a new or soft heart. Psalms 51.10 says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart. I, I remember being a young man and uh, like being kind of a hater in general, just in life. Like I was like, mm, eh, mm. I still kind of struggle with that a little bit. Like someone will tell me a story. I'm like, mm, no, I don't believe it, right? Like, no, man, like God's just marked their life. Nah, dude, that's luck, brother. They, they're, that's not really... And the reason why is because I, I, I struggle with a hard heart. I struggle with like, mm, no, mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. And as a young man, I began to ask, this, ask the Lord, God, give me your heart. Create in me a clean heart. The next, the next way that we develop or soften a hard heart is we spend time in his word, the Bible. Hebrews 4.12, well, hold on, leave that point up just for a second. That was way too fast. We spend time in his word, the Bible. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. And the slide is moving too fast. Like, I can't catch that. You're talking too fast. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and active. Talking about your Bible, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Do you wanna know what's really in your heart? Don't go on like a self journey. Don't go into the woods and just ask your heart to come present itself. Don't go out and be like, oh, I found the vortex in Sedona and my heart jumped out of my chest and talked to me, right? Like (laughs) what you need to do is you need to read your word. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The things you can't perceive, the Bible will will reveal. Here's the next one, next way. God gives a soft heart but he takes the hard one out. And it's sometimes hard, sometimes painful when he takes that hard heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, it was one of the first passages. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There are gonna be some moments when it feels like God is ripping your heart out of your chest. This is really hard. This is not a message that's gonna get a whole lot of amens and I'm okay with that. There are a lot of moments in your walk with Jesus when you're gonna be like, man, I just like, I can't figure this out. And it's because God is trying to pull something out of you. God is trying to say, I'm removing something that will destroy your future marriage, your future life, the things that I've called you to. If you don't get this heart of stone out, you won't go where I need you to go. And I wanna show you actually why uh, the reason a hard heart doesn't really work. So this is a rock. Someone say rock. You guys remember when people had pet rocks? Raise your hand if you had a pet rock. Okay, okay, everyone take note. Okay, no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. So I've got this rock, right? And it's, it's hard, it's coarse, right? In Arizona, we don't, go, we don't grow grass. Well, not that kind of grass. We, we don't grow grass. We grow rocks, right? Like rocks just like multiply, right? If you've ever had to, the only thing we grow is like, uh, is like uh, shrubs or like, you know, really nasty, like dirty. Like you're like, man, this is not a pretty like landscape. Like landscaping here requires a lot of work. And this is a rock. And I would imagine that if you had a heart of stone similar to this, you'd feel safe. Like, man, nothing can hurt me. When somebody tries to attack me, you know, when somebody throws, a, throws an accusation at me or says like, man, you're a terrible person, it just, tink, falls off. 
And can I tell you, that's what we believe, but that is not actually the truth. We believe that, hey, I've got a hard heart. No one can see this. Nothing bad is gonna happen to me. Can I tell you, that's actually the furthest thing from the truth. Because life never hits you like, tink, right? I felt so awesome when, when, when Lily was sharing. She's like, yeah, my car broke down. This problem happened. I'm like, it's not just me. I thought I was living in sin, right? <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, so it's also Lily. She's also living in sin. No, 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 no. <laughs> but life doesn't ever hit like, tink. It's never like a, well, you know, it's just a little thing, tink. It's not another little pebble getting thrown at your nice, hard heart. Most of the time, life kind of hits like a three-pound hammer. And you're like, no, a three-pound hammer is not that bad, right? A three pounds, like if you lose three pounds, you're like, eh, I'd like to lose like seven or like 10, right? Three is like, I'm in a good process, right? All the dudes in here are like, dude, I curl way more than three pounds, bro. I don't know why you talk like that, but that's what I believe about college kids. But no, I'm just playing. But if that's your heart and you're going through life and experiencing some ups and downs, you know, the little offenses aren't bothering you. When someone talks to you about their struggle, you're like, man, that really sucks. And your face shows that you care, but your heart couldn't be further from that. Your face shows like, man, oh, that's so hard. But internally, you couldn't give a care. That's a hard heart. And what actually starts to happen is, is that like a soft heart is kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of like, no, I'm not gonna hit anybody. <laughs> Some of y'all got nervous. You're like, wait, what kind of church is this, right? <laughs> now we will have the salvation sacrifice. No, I'm just like. <laughs> but if I, were, if I were to say like a three pound hammer, this is a three pound hammer, is that seem, that seems pretty intense, right? This is, this is legit. And sometimes life kind of hits us and it doesn't hit us too hard. And we're like, oh, that wasn't too bad. Like, I can do this. And sometimes we take a little, little bit harder of a hit. Like, that wasn't too bad. I got this. <laughs> and then sometimes life just <laughs> hits you like that. And you know what the saddest part is? The saddest part is you think you like, oh, no, I handled that. What happens is you have a smaller heart than you did before. The capacity of your heart is minimized when you have a hard heart and hard things happen. The sad part is, is that you think I'm okay when really now you have minimized what you have to give to the people that you want to give to. You'd be like, well, I just, I stopped feeling when I was 12 because my, my, my dad, he, he like left us. So I stopped feeling and I just shut off my heart. And suddenly your wife or your, your, the, 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 the next person, the next people in your life, the significant others, like, hey, I just want your whole heart. And you go, I don't know how to give that. This is all I have. I hope this is enough. And it's not. It will always struggle to get back. Can I put this rock back together? I can't. And some of y'all have been spending the last however many years trying to put your heart back together. And it's not working, is it? The only thing that you can ask for is a new heart. God, give me a new heart. The one I got's a little busted. The one I got's been through some trauma. The one that I've got's been through some pain. God, would you give me a fresh heart? Would you make my heart hurt for the things that it used to hurt for? God, would you make this not just a show? Would you, do you remember, maybe some of you have walked with Jesus for a long time, and I've, I've struggled with this, where, where I'll come into a service and be like, oh, here we go, we're doing the song and dance again, we're gonna do the thing, we're gonna jump, you know, the worship leader's gonna get up and be like, ah, right? It's gonna be beautiful, it's gonna be incredible, there's gonna be Instagram about it for like, you know, the next 13 hours, then my life goes back to normal. I'm reminded of when I first met Jesus. And I would be sitting at my, at my little desk in my room when I was a little, little teenager. And I'd have put my stuff aside and I'd just open up my Bible and be like, what do you want to show me today, God? I'd open it up and be like, 
I don't know what boiling a lamb's in its mother's milk has to do with my life today. I'm just a 14-year-old struggling with lust. Can you give me something better than this, God? But the way I overcame that hard heart was asking for Christ's heart instead of my own. The prayer I used to pray over and over and over again was, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And that's a scary prayer to pray, but I want to show you a passage of Scripture that I think really encapsulates Christ's heart, what you'd be asking for, okay? Luke 15, 1 through 10. Y'all still with me? Y'all ain't bored, right? Nobody got any, like, shards of rock in their face, and if you did, sorry, take it up with Julian. He'll help you. Verse 1, Luke 15, 1 through 10 says this, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to listen to Jesus. So the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble. The haters began to grumble. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ugh. That's not actually in the text, but I can infer. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, comes home and calls together his friends and neighbors to tell them, rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7, in the same way I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones who do not need to repent. And here's, here's the problem. Us in America, maybe in the Western world, what we struggle with is you're like, you still got 99 sheep, bro. You're just trying to get to triple digits? Like, what's up? Like, it's not that big a deal. You still got one. And what we don't understand is in that culture, that would have been equivalent to like a money maker. It would be like, hey, you got 100 streams of income. Now you're down to 99. You'd be like, mm, I'd like to find that 100th, please, and 101, and 102, and 103. All these people were like, path of income, please, right? The reason why this is such an important passage of scripture is because very clearly verse 7 in the same way I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones who did not need to repent can I tell you if you know Jesus and you have a relationship with him you are no longer the centerpiece if you have a relationship with Jesus, it is no longer about your comfort. If you have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus cares for you. He died for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. But there's more joy over one than 99 perfect one of yous. Continue on. The parable of the lost coin, verse 8 says, verse eight, or what woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one of them does not light a lamp, sweep her house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors to say, rejoice with me for I have found my lost coin. Verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Jesus is about the lost. His heart is about the lost. When you lose something, just practically, perfect example for me, I've got a really bad problem where I, I, I misplaced my wallet. It's only at home. I don't do like Julian. If y'all know Julian, Julian will leave it. I got to tell a story. So one time when Julian was in the internship program, I had this really funny idea to tell a couple of people, and I took his wallet, and I put it in the toaster. It fit perfectly, guys, like a glove. Like, I mean, guys, like, I mean, he must have kept all his movie tickets in there, but like, it was like, ski, and it like just tight fit. Well, I told a couple of people like, hey, make sure Julian doesn't leave today without finding his wallet. I was betrayed. <laughs> they did not tell Julian. Luckily, I went back that night, pulled his wallet out because I was terrified somebody was going to come in like middle of the night and be like, I just want a bagel, right? And like, game over, burned up wallet, right? Like. And next thing you know, Julian, because he's a problem solver, has already got his next uh, driver's license on order from the DMV because he couldn't find it in three hours. <laughs> Felt so bad, I literally sent him money like, hey, bro, I'm sorry, I just pulled the joke. I wasn't trying to. So Julian's got two driver's licenses. If you ever wonder, if you ever need another ID, Julian has one. He'll charge you 150 bucks for it. So <laughs> when you lose something, your focus goes off of what you have and is on the lost thing. If you lose your wallet, you're not worried about your keys. 
unless you're really bad at losing stuff. If you lose, if you lose like that one pair of pants that you love, makes your butt look good, right? You're like, oh man, this is my favorite pair of pants. You're not concerned with the other dozen pairs of pants you have. You're worried about the one. Here's a perfect example. If you have siblings, when you have something that you really, really like and they take it from your room, it don't matter what else is in your room. You could have like the, the coolest stuff in your room, but the one thing, and here's the reason why this is so important. The, the, the illustration that I'm trying to, the comparison I'm trying to make is that God has died for every single person. And, and, and truthfully, all of creation belongs to him and the enemy has a hold on them. The enemy has, a, has a, a claim to them because they are choosing to pay for their own, sac- to pay their own cost, to sacrifice their own life for the sins that they have committed. That's why God is so joyful when one comes back. Something that was stolen and taken is now coming back to him. Christ's heart is for the lost. He loves spending time with us. But it's about the thousands who don't know Christ and need Jesus the way you need Jesus. God's heart burns for the ones not in this room. Those who are broken and hurting, those who, have, who are suffering and scared of what life will throw at them. And I'm closing, so. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says this. This is the passage of scripture that has marked my heart when it comes to ministry. I've been doing this now for five years as a pastor. I've got, I've got ten, over 10 years of experience. That don't mean a lot. There's a lot of people who got 10 years of experience and aren't very good at something. But Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He was preaching, preaching. Someone say preaching. He was preaching. Continue on. And he healed every kind of disease and illness, every mental illness, every every disease, every struggle, every case of leprosy. It says, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The reason why this passage speaks to me so heavily is because I think we focus so much on the physical struggle we're navigating. We focus so heavy on like, Man, I'm just not making enough money. So God, if you could like solve that. Man, God, I've just got so many issues right now. Like if you could just give me like a lady friend who could solve all these problems. Gap. Man, God, if you could just solve all the physical stuff, I'd be so happy. Like if you could just get rid of this person in my life, if you could just not have this person be my boss anymore, like anybody else, please God. Like if you could just take me out of this physical struggle. If you could just deliver me from this thing, I'd be happy. And the crazy thing is Jesus actually did that with this group of people, healed every kind of disease and illness, took physical struggles off of them. They went home without limps. They went home clean and purified, but he still had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Verse 38, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his field. His heart, Jesus' heart was burdened for the lost. He cares for those in this room, but he has compassion. His heart hurts for those without a shepherd. And can I tell you that no pastor is your shepherd? That no matter how awesome you think a pastor is or a preacher is, they're not your shepherd. The only shepherd that you have is Jesus. That's why I get so frustrated with like celebrity pastor culture. Like, oh man, you know, he's got it like, oh. Like uh, actually he's another sheep or she's another sheep. Just as busted as you are. And when people get so frustrated, they're like, how could you wear shoes like that? How could you have that much debt? Sir, ma'am? How could you, how could you, how could they have that? You're putting on the expectation of your savior on a man or a woman. No wonder you're disappointed. Man, my, man, pastors shouldn't talk like that. Oh, 
So you want to hold them to a standard you're not willing to live. That's just free. His heart was burdened for the lost. He cares for those in this room. He does. I hope you don't hear that. I just feel like there's maybe somebody in here who might be believing like, oh, he doesn't care about me. Like, that's not true at all. Jesus died for you. But can I tell you the, the reason that this church exists, the church, capital C, church, is because the Bible says that God is willing that none should perish, that all should have life with him. The feeling that you feel when you're in worship or when you have a relationship with God, you're like, wow, this is so incredible. God, how could you love me? I'm so broken, I'm so busted. How could you, how could you love me? That's the desire that God has that every single person would feel that. And here's, here's how I wanna close tonight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I wanna speak to maybe those who are maybe overthinkers in this room. Asking for his heart can be scary. You go, man, I don't want to give my heart up. What happens to the things I care about? What happens to the things that matter to me? Can I tell you in comparison, the things that matter to him are much more important than the things that matter to you. The Bible talks about that when we give our lives to Jesus, the old has passed away and the new has come. That a new creation is, is here. Bible also says that when we follow Jesus, we lay down our lives and we carry our cross. We carry the sacrifice that it is to follow Jesus. But can I tell you, I've never regretted praying that prayer, saying, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. there are people in your life who need you to care again. There are people in your life that are not attracted to Jesus because you don't care anymore. There are people around you at the gym, at your workplace, that when you say you're a Christian, they go, man, you're just as angry as I am. You're just as broken as I am. Why would I follow Jesus? And can I tell you, it's not because Jesus is not true. It's not because Jesus is not real. It's because you might have a heart of stone. So here's the two challenges I wanna give you as we close tonight. I want you to right now, right where you're at, if you're comfortable, just ask God for his heart. you to care again, their eternal destination, their current situation, their past decisions all need a savior and you can share that savior with them. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. If you're in this place and you'd say, Pastor Taylor, I hear you talking about Jesus' heart, but if I'm really honest, don't have a relationship with him. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. Or maybe you're in this place and you go, man, I, I used to know Jesus, but I've walked away. If that's you, I also want to lead you in this same prayer, but with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if that's you, you say, pray for me, Pastor Taylor. I want, I want a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now across this room? Thank you, thank you. 
just wait just a moment longer. I don't want to miss anybody. If that's you and the Holy Spirit, something is tugging on you saying you need to raise your hand and recommit your life to Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Those of you that lifted your hands, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, I want us to pray together to support them, to encourage them, to remind them that our walk with Jesus is not one and done, but a continual process of becoming more like him. Everybody in this room, repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I choose you. I've messed up. My life can be a mess, but I need you. Lead me. I believe you are who you say you are, my savior. I repent of my sins and I'll follow you in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate those who prayed that prayer? Amen. Would you stand to your feet all across this place? I just wanna close with one more thing and altar team, can you come move up here into the front? The team up here is not a hyper-spiritual team. They're not a team that um, is holier than you. Nobody's holier than anybody. But can I tell you that these are people who are trained. And if you've got some things that you go, man, I need somebody to pray with me for, this team's gonna be up here. But before I release you, I feel like there's some people in this room who if you're really honest, you go, man, I'm scared to care again. I'm really scared to open my heart up again. And if I'm honest, that's, that's where I've lived a lot of my life. Man, if I, if I start caring, people are gonna take advantage of me. People are gonna hurt me. My heart is gonna get ripped out of my chest. Like if I start caring for people and start putting myself out there, I'm gonna get rejected. I'm gonna get made fun of. I'm gonna be embarrassed. So it's easier to just not. Can I tell you that hard heart gets only smaller with time. That hard heart only becomes more brittle over time. Maybe you're in this place, you go, I need boldness to start caring again. If that's you, I'm gonna pray and release this team to start ministering. If you need prayer to come up here, but we're just gonna hang out and worship for a little bit and then we're gonna close out service together. But if that's you and you go, man, I got some things I need prayer for. Or maybe you're in this place and you go, I need boldness to start caring again. Can we do this? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus, I pray right now, those that need to come up and receive prayer would gain boldness to do it right now. That they'd stop caring about what other people think right now and they'd be fully focused on what you have for them, God. Maybe it's they need to pray about that that decision. Maybe it's they need to pray about that relationship. Maybe it's they need prayer for uh, uh, their pain or their experiences, or maybe just a fresh uh, uh, experience of your presence or a healing in their body. But God, if there are those that need boldness to start caring again, to start caring for the people around them, to have a soft heart again, God, I pray right now, boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to receive prayer, you're welcome to step out of your seat, come receive prayer, but we're going to just worship for just a couple of moments, and then we're going to close out service together.